Welcome to the Success IQ podcast, the show for entrepreneurs wanting to create and live an exceptional life. I'm your host, Jeff Nicholson. For those of you who are new to the show, welcome. I'm an expert in performance and mindset, supporting business owners to create exceptional results in life and business. And I achieve this through coaching, training, speaking, and my online programs. I started this podcast to discover how other thought and business leaders create and enjoy success, and to identify the common strategies and techniques, as well as the mindset they have adopted to live their version of exceptional. My aim is simple. It's for you to learn and implement the valuable lessons shared in these episodes. You deserve to live and enjoy an exceptional life, but in order to achieve this, you will need to adopt new strategies and ways of thinking to accomplish your goals. Now, don't forget to hit that subscribe button to make sure you don't miss any of these brilliant episodes. Head over to jeffnicholson.co.uk to register for my Kick Mediocrity in the Nuts newsletter, as well as all you need to know on how to connect with me on social media or join the Facebook group. Now, on with the show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I truly hope you are having an amazing week. Welcome to episode 180. And today we have got a great guest, Joe Sanok. Now, Joe is the author of the new book, Thursday is the New Friday, How to Work Fewer Hours, Make More Money, and Spend Time Doing What You Want. In this book, Joe empowers readers with practical evidence-based mythology to create their own work schedule and dedicate more of their precious personal time to pursuing their hobbies and spending more time with their family and friends. Welcome to the show, Joe. Jeff, thank you so much for having me. I am really, really looking forward to having you um, discuss the topics that we're going to do today. But before we dive into it, Joe, could you just give us a little bit of a backstory of what's brought you to this point today? Yeah, so I'm trained as a mental health counselor. So I'm a licensed professional counselor and also trained as a psychologist. So I took a very traditional academic route, uh, doing double master's degrees and eventually working in residential facilities, private practice, uh, community college. But throughout that journey, uh, I wanted to just pay off student loan debt. And so I started a side gig counseling practice in 2010. And it was just to pay off student loans, but then it kept growing and growing. And I realized I knew absolutely nothing about business. So I started reading business books and blogging about it and started a podcast, uh, sharing what I was learning in my private practice. And so the practice of the practice podcast and website was formed uh, in 2012. And just over time started to uh, grow that business. There weren't any other podcasts at the time about the world of counseling and business. Uh, So right away, it was number one from day one. And it's a great way to do it. Just find where nobody's at and you can be number one right away. Uh, And and so over time, uh, I I grew that practice and in 2015 left my full-time job and in 2019 sold that practice to do the consulting exclusively. And now we have a a team of eight people in South Africa. We have five here in Michigan, four consultants, and then a handful of other support staff throughout the country. Uh, And in that process of helping other people through mastermind groups, membership communities, e-courses, I really discovered that kind of the way I view time, uh, I didn't realize it, but it's just way different than how other people view it. And and so uh, to then think through what is that natural superpower uh, and what am I teaching over and over and what research am I drawn to? That really was the fruition of Thursday is the new Friday, uh, the book that we just released. Joe, um, a lot of people talk about this hustle culture and I often see the the negative end of that work, having worked with people trying to 
get back on track from burnout or dealing with stress stress related conditions. What's your sort of experience with the the hustle culture? Yeah, I think when we look at kind of the macro research and then also just practically, we see people like Gary Vaynerchuk out in the world that are saying, I haven't, you know, had a Saturday off since I was 14. Uh, and it becomes this badge of honor for people uh, to work 60 hours a week and to post it online. And to me, that's for one coming from a place of ego where instead of having the outcomes of their work be the actual outcomes, it's the time worked. Uh, and to me, that's such an industrialist way of thinking of things that the, the best thing we can say is 40 hours, butt in the chair. That's what our key performance indicators are. To me, that's ridiculous when you're looking at a business. If you can't run a business in 20 or 30 hours a week and you have to work 60, that shows me you're a bad business person. Uh, and so that hustle culture to me is really that industrialist mindset coming out. And instead, what we want to do is we want to start to think about what is the highest use of our time. Uh, and so if you're spending 60 hours on something, uh, probably only 20 or 30 are those highest level things that you should be doing, which means you're putting your time and energy into things that really aren't moving the needle forward. Imagine you had twice as much time and energy to put into those highest level things, or you only work 30 hours a week. And then the next week you work 30 hours. How much more energy are you going to have showing up for that highest level type of work? Um, and that's to me where the hustle culture really misses out on optimizing their brains, using the research to actually fuel when you're going to kill it. Uh, because there's nothing wrong with wanting to absolutely kill it and be productive. That's part of the model that I'm talking about. But we start with our internal inclinations. So we make sure that the work we're doing internally isn't just coming from a place of ego. Then we move into slowing down, uh, which the research shows optimizes the brain. Instead of having our weekends be reactionary to the week before, we're optimizing for the week ahead. And then we move into the work and we absolutely kill it using the brain research to get the most done during that period of time. Well, yeah. And, and it's that, it's that um, enigma for many people about the slowing down to achieve more, isn't it? Because I often, I often teach um, and speak to my clients about cognitive load and all of that sort of thing about having them understand that actually the more you're trying to force everything in, the more energy you're using and actually you've been unproductive but it's but it's trying to get people to understand that because they they find it very very difficult to see yeah. And I think that we intuitively know that this is true. And we see it in our everyday lives. When, when do you have your best ideas? It's usually you're in the shower or you're off for a hike and you're, or you're doing a drive and you just turn the radio off to just allow your brain to rest. Or, uh, you know, I enjoy doing Sudoku puzzles and, and I'll be stuck on one. I'll get up and go help my kids or do something and I'll come back and I'll be like, oh my gosh, that four was right there. And that nine was right there. And, and it all just starts to come together. But I was too much in the thick of it trying to figure it out. Uh, it's like when you're looking for the mayonnaise and it's right in the front of the refrigerator and you're just looking everywhere, but right in front of your eyes. Uh, and so we look at the research and it's actually because the average person has so much stress going on in their brain that they are maxed out and stressed out throughout their week. Then they go into their weekend and they don't in any sort of way intentionally think through how do they recover or rejuvenate from that week. Instead, they go to soccer practice, they're running all over, they go to church, they do all these things. And then by Monday, 
work then feels like a break from the weekend. And so um, to be able to start to work backward and say, what kind of life do I want to best prep me for this coming week? And especially entrepreneurs who have so many ideas. Our, our job is to rein in those ideas and make sure that we have some clear bookends and we can talk through boundaries or whatever direction you want to go with that. Uh, but, but as we enter into that weekend, we need to be intentional about prepping our brain to relax and rejuvenate. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because um, where before I started working in, in sort of human potential development, I, I, um, used to work at 150 miles an hour, work until the early hours, um, get in at the crack of dawn. And I used to be like, well, it's a completely different version of what I was. And then I went through a long-term stress-related illness, couldn't work for six years, came back, learned my lessons and implemented the same sort of philosophies as what you're talking about. And it, it was incredible how much, not only happier I was, but how much more I got done and how much more attention I can bring to the important people in the lives. Cause the reason why I started my business was to give my family a better life. But what you find, what certainly what I've experienced is, is a huge amount of energy that goes in head down as my grandfather used to say, head down, arse up and just working away. And you don't, you don't have time to appreciate those, those, the important relationships in your life. Yeah. And I think part of it is we think what we're experiencing right now is the norm for humanity. Uh, and if we don't understand the cultural and historical context of how we got to where we're at, uh, we just think that what we see now is how it's supposed to be. Uh, and so for me in writing the book, it was really important to understand how did we even get here? So if we go back several thousand years to the Babylonians, they just made up the seven day week. They looked up at the sun, the moon, they saw the earth, Mercury, Venus, Mars, and Jupiter. And they said, let's do seven days. Uh, the Romans had a 10 day week. The Egyptians had an eight day week. You know, it makes sense. A year makes sense. That's how long it takes us to go around the sun. A day makes sense. That's how long it takes to spin. Uh, months are loosely connected to the lunar cycle, but a seven day week is completely arbitrary. So if we just start with this thing, the seven day week that we all buy into, it's a human construct that we've made up. The Babylonians, they just made it up. So then if we fast forward to the late 1800s, early 1900s, the average person was working 10 to 14 hours a day, six to seven days a week. So then when Henry Ford in 1926 gave the 40 hour work week, that was a huge step for humanity. That was a huge step for business. Um, it was needed for evolution for a number of different things. And we can say we've outgrown it. Uh, in 1926, he did that to sell more cars to his own employees because he knew people wouldn't come to work, buy a car to come to work faster. But if they had a weekend, they'd buy a car so they could have more fun. And so this idea that the 40-hour work week is just how it is, uh, you know, even about your grandparents, like think about the people that were born in the early 1900s, you know, around that time in 1926 when Henry Ford uh, is instituting the 40-hour work week. The previous generation that were raising those kids they had a farmer's schedule, even if they worked in the city, they were working all the time. So a 40 hour work week to them looks super lazy. So then we have that generation, you know, raise the baby boomers. Um, the baby boomers are the first kids to be raised by industrialists. And so then they're taught a certain way. And then the kids of those kids that are now the adults of our world are, are now saying, wait, this doesn't work. And the pandemic of 2020 and 2021 really revealed how these rules that we thought were certain and were going to stay 
really were totally arbitrary. And so that's why we're seeing this great resignation that people that work in those traditional jobs, uh, they're saying, I'm not going to just be a number. I'm not a part of an assembly line anymore. I'm not going to work for an industrialist. I'm going to do something different that's more meaningful or better for my family or whatever their individual reasons are. And so that shift away from that industrialist mindset into more of an evolutionary mindset in both business and personally is the major global shift we're seeing right now in regards to the direction of how we view time. Yeah, because it was interesting because I read um, I read that the scans, uh, I can't remember if it was Sweden or no- Norway, they've, they've done research and, and stated that six-hour workday is way, way more productive than an eight-hour workday. The last two hours are kind of like, or those two hours that people are saying an eight-hour, you don't get any more work done at all. Um, yeah. The, the, there's actually the Iceland study as well, that it was 2,500 people, multi-year study uh, that worked four days a week, 32 hours over those four days. So they weren't cramming 40 hours in. And they found that they were actually more productive than the 40-hour workweek people, which means if you work 32 hours, uh, you're at your pinnacle. And if you work 40, those extra hours are just throwaway hours. So if your productivity is not there, that means those eight hours are a hobby. That, that, that means you could have spent them on anything else. Uh, and your hobby is work. So how how dumb is that? So the research over and over is continuing to show that that we don't have to do the 40 plus hour work week to get the same amount done. Fantastic. Okay. So let's let's have a look at some, you talked about boundaries and you talked about bookending. Um, are, are they strategies or are they, how, are they, uh, what, what are, what were they, um, what were they specifically? Yeah. So the average person, when they hear boundaries, uh, they think limitations, they think, oh, I don't want to do that. Or I'm not sure if that's going to work. And part of that is that we view all boundaries the same uh, in the same way we see all emails is the same. If I get an email from the Today Show, that does not that's not the same as if I get an email from my kid's teacher or from just someone that's on my email list. So in the same way that every email is not equal, every boundary is not equal to you. So we need to think about hard boundaries and soft boundaries. So hard boundaries are things that you will never do. You're going to have a handful of these. So for example, I wrote the book about why you shouldn't work on Friday. So if I have a pre-consulting call with someone and they say to me, you know what, I just, I need to meet with you every single Friday for six weeks. Here's all this money I'm going to give you. I'm never going to take that client because it goes against my hard boundary. I have very clear things that I will and won't do. Um, As well, I have clear times that I end email for the day. I shut down all my work tabs. So even if I open up my my computer, I don't see anything work-related to suck me back in. Um, And so having a handful of these hard boundaries is really important. Next, we want to have soft boundaries. So on a Friday, I'm not going to do consulting calls or any of that. But if my director of details sends me a text and says, practice of the practice is on fire. There's all this stuff with social media that's going on. People hate you. You misspoke and said this thing or whatever it is. I'm not going to say, let it burn. Uh, I'm going to work on it and put out the fire with my team. And then on Monday morning, we're going to reflect back and say, well, why was Joe the only one that could solve that? What information do you need? What access do you need? What passwords do you need in order to solve this on your own if this ever happens again? And there may be those things that only I can solve. Um, But over time, we want to get smarter and evolve as a business within that. So we have these, these soft boundaries as well. So starting to discover and experiment with these hard boundaries and soft boundaries within your business then becomes a habit that it feels more abnormal for you to work on Friday than it feels normal to work on Friday. And so over time, you're going to find that these boundaries actually give you a new norm where you say, no, I'm not going to work on Friday. I have 
a coffee date with a friend and I'm going to go work out and I'm going to go grocery shopping so that over the weekend I can spend time with my kids. And, and so then that becomes the norm. And it's so much easier to follow when you have those boundaries that you've just done over a period of time. Right. Okay. I, li- I like that. I like that. And, and for you, um, how do you, uh, I guess I would say, um, um, I, actually, I'm just on your website now. I've noticed you've said experiments. So I, what, the way I look at this is about experimentation. How do you go about educating people to implement it and try it out? Is there a specific me- methodology you have, or is it just, you know, go for it and see what you feel like? Yeah, I mean, we give options in a number of ways within the book. And so I think the big shift we're seeing in books is that in the past, we would see on one side, the the five steps to be more productive. It's this blueprint. It's this prescription. It's the industrialist model. Uh, You do it or you don't do it. Or on the other side, we would see these woo-woo books that say, you know, create a vision board, manifest it to the universe, and you're going to get a trip to Hawaii without doing any work. Uh, And so like neither of those books work, uh, but they have truth with in both of them. Uh, and so that idea of bringing together the slowing down, the, the intentionality, the thinking about what you want, while also then here are some menu items to try and, and to use, that's the big shift we're seeing away from that industrialist way of writing books. And so I would say uh, my book is more of a menu to say, here are some ways that you can experiment so that over time you get smarter about yourself and then you can keep leveling up without having to just always go buy a book. I'm sure my publisher doesn't want to hear that, that it's not about just selling more books, but but it's, it's genuinely about giving you a menu to learn over time. And and so some of those those first steps. um, So the easiest first step that people can take is to look at this coming weekend whenever they hear this and to add something and remove something. So add something and remove something. So what does that mean? So you're going to add something that's going to just give you so much life over this weekend, uh, or at least you're going to experiment to see if it gives you so much life. So maybe you have a book that's on your nightstand that you have wanted to read. It's not a business book. It's just something for fun. You haven't given yourself permission because your self-talk says, hey, you got to be productive on the weekend. You got to make sure you get that laundry done. You got to make sure fill in the blank for whatever adulting you need to do. Maybe giving yourself two hours on a Saturday morning with a nice cup of tea and drinking that while you read this great book you wanted to read, maybe that's going to give you more life and more brain power for that next week than than that two hours would give you if you're doing something else. Uh, Maybe going out for coffee with a friend that every time you see him, you say, oh, we should get together. Maybe you should turn that we should get together into action actually getting together. So finding one thing that you can add into your weekend. And then we want to remove one thing from your weekend as well. So maybe you do have a coffee date on Saturday with a friend, but every time you leave those coffee dates, you feel like trash. And you know, that person is just a toxic friend that just sucks your energy out. I give you permission to cancel that. Uh, maybe the idea of going grocery shopping and spending half of a Saturday, you know, fighting to go, you know, into a grocery store and all that just sounds terrible you know, pay the extra 20 bucks to have your groceries delivered this weekend. So what we're doing is we're not saying this is going to be a lifelong decision. Uh, We're saying we're going to try some things out. So maybe one weekend you outsource the lawn mowing to your neighbor kid and you realize, actually, that didn't feel that good to me. It didn't matter. I actually feel like mowing the lawn was more of a mindfulness activity. I actually kind of enjoyed that. I missed it this weekend. So then over time you're learning, okay, if I add in these handful of things and if I remove these sorts of things, my weekends are going to feel just amazing in prepping me for that next week. Um, And that's without even saying we're going to do a three-day weekend. Yeah, yeah. And would you say that looking at it from a fun aspect 
is important or does it does it um help in the process um you know whether it is getting the kids involved or um or your spouse or partner or whatever it is is if you're doing it as sort of like a a family thing does that help embed it better for you I, I think it can help, but I think uh, as well, figuring out for yourself those key things. So for me, it's not necessarily fun to clean the house, but if my house is tidy all the time, uh, I feel more grounded. I, my daughters are more grounded. I'm a single dad raising them. And so we as a family, as just one of our values is we put our stuff away. Uh, and, and so if you do that all the time, we do make it fun. And that works for us as a family, but for another family, it might be, Hey, you know, before the kids get home from school, I'm just going to pick up all their stuff and put it in a pile and tell them, Hey, go put your stuff away. Uh, we're not going to make it a big fun thing where we turn on music and dance while we do it. But that's what we do as a family. So I mean, we turn on our favorite dance music. Uh, we go room by room. We do it quick. It takes 10 minutes a day. Um, but it, it's, figuring out for yourself, what are those handful of things that just optimize your environment, optimize your soul. And then eventually, like if you're a better person that that's going to carry over into your business. No, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Okay, Joe, what we'll do is we'll go to the second part of the show um, where I ask um, the same questions to every guest who comes on the show to find common threads and useful strategies that we can share with the audience. So are you ready, sir? I am ready. Okay, so the first question is, on average, how much time do you roughly dedicate to self-development a week? That's body, mind, and spirit. I would say at least 90 minutes a day to two hours a day. Uh, so probably 10 to 14 hours, depending on the week. Uh, raising two daughters on my own, uh, I've had to find creative ways to do that to involve them as well. Uh, but no, I would say probably at least two hours a day. Cool. And do you have a specific um, way of doing it? Do you like audio books, podcasts, what, what what's your favorite sort of vehicle? Yeah. So outside of a book blitz like this, so when I'm back into my regular schedule, uh, the way that typically looks is I take my kids to school in the morning. We walk where it's a block and a half away. Uh, I've found that waking up before my kids and doing all the self-development things just is a new level of hell for me to wake up that early. So, so I know that when I get them out the door and I'm home alone before I kind of start my work day, that that's when I'm going to most appreciate my own self-development. That's just what I've discovered about myself. Um, so usually what that looks like is uh, 10 minutes of meditation. I do the Sam Harris uh, waking up app. I absolutely love it. They have 10 and 20 minute meditations. Uh, I usually do some reading uh, at that point. So there's different books that I'll be reading. Uh, I'll do some journaling. Uh, and then usually there's a physical component. Uh, I've been, you know, trying to plank longer and longer. So just yesterday I got to four and a half minutes, which blew my mind that I like that last minute and a half, I was like dying, but I'm like, I'm going to get to four and a half. Um, and then just do some push-ups to kind of move my body if I then have time and don't have meetings. So, uh, I usually am primarily working on a Tuesday and Wednesday in the week, uh, for my kind of core work. Um, if, if it's one of those other days, I'll often do a several mile walk as well. Uh, during that time, I'll sometimes listen to an audio book, um, a podcast. Sometimes I just listen to music that makes me feel good. Brilliant. Brilliant. Fantastic. Uh, question number two, what book, and it can be any book, has made the biggest impact to your self-development or personal growth and why? Yeah, the, the most recent book, hands down, has been The Untethered Soul. Um, Michael, Michael Singer's work, uh, he also has uh, Living from a Place of Surrender, which is a uh, audio course uh, that I listened through. Uh, his work, to me, has been such a mindset change. Uh, and kind of the core teaching within it is that... Um, 
we are not, if we think about who are we, like who is Joe, who is Jeff? We, we are not our physical body because, you know, if you had to have part of that amputated, you'd still be you. Uh, we're not our memories because our past changes and our future changes all the time. Um, we're not our emotions or our pain because that comes and goes. And so he really begs the question of who really are you? Uh, and the awareness of our own awareness is, is his premise that deep down, that's the thing that is unchanging, being aware that you're aware. Um, and so start from that place to say big emotions come through us, uh, pain comes through us, people hurt us, people leave us, we fall in love, we have all these things that come in and out, um, and to allow those emotions to not get stuck inside and to flow through. Uh, and he, he talks about having very simple exercises to allow those emotions. So for example, he says traffic and weather are the two biggest opportunities to build that muscle in a safe way, uh, because you have no control over how someone else drives. And he also points out, how narcissistic is it to think that the rest of the world should drive the way you think they should drive? Um, and just that idea of when someone's going 10 miles an hour under the speed limit and you're stuck behind them and late for something, you're completely out of control in that situation. You can make decisions to go down different streets, but your emotions don't need to get amped up during that time. And so even just allowing myself to genuinely learn to let difficult emotions flow through me has completely changed my approach to life. Oh, that's fascinating. I'm, 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 I haven't read that one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to get that. At, uh, I'm gonna have to have a look at that one because that's a fascinating uh, thing. Yeah. Well, when when Hal Elrod uh, texts you and says you've got to read this book, I, I listen to Hal when he tells me stuff. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, why wouldn't you? <laughs> it's not as if he does. It's it, when he when someone does the sort of work that he does and gets the results that he's getting and lives in the sort of area he's getting. He's like, well, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll, thanks, listen. I'll get that book. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, <Al. laughs> um, question number three is what app makes the biggest impact to your business or personal life? I would say for my business, uh, using Trello um, is such a great way for me to capture ideas. I, I think that's the challenge of entrepreneurs is that we can be, I can be playing Mario Kart with my daughter and have an amazing idea that I don't want to lose. And so to be able to quickly put that into a note in Trello that I'm going to follow up with my team on um, so I don't lose it, but I also don't go down that path where I'm not a good dad at that moment. Um, so I would say Trello. Um, and then in my personal life, um, I don't use a ton of apps in my personal life. Uh, and, and so I really try to be uh, as present and in nature. And so there's not many that I use to kind of structure my life um, outside of my business. Brilliant. Okay, fantastic. Uh, question number four is what's the biggest business mistake that's turned into a valuable lesson and what did it teach you? Oh man. So this is such a good question. And I, I'm, it's great that you ask every guest this because I'm sure you notice from a macro perspective trends. Uh, I tried to sell products before I had an audience and I failed time after time after time. Cause I thought I had this great product idea. I'd sketch it all out. I'd create the course. I would do the videos and then six, people would buy it. Uh, and, and when I really learned that, that when you have an audience and in the book, I actually talked through the three questions to ask, and I can just share that briefly with you. Uh, when you have that audience and you say, Hey, can I just jump on a quick 20 minute phone call? I'm thinking about a new product. I'm not going to sell you on it. I just want to get some information. And you first ask them about the pain. Uh, so how do they describe the pain? Um, what would be a magical product that you could offer? And then what would be the price that they would pay. 
over and over and over, my audience has said, so for example, when we launched our membership community, they described the pain of starting a counseling private practice. Oh my gosh, it's so confusing. I don't know where to start. I just want a roadmap. They give all the copy that I need. Uh, I was thinking it was going to be $29 a month. Uh, and so then when they described this magical product, they said you'd have small groups and accountability partners and bring in top level experts and have Zoom calls. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I can't do this for 29 bucks a month. And what they just sketched out is amazing and would disrupt the entire market. Uh, and it's just so much. And then how much would you pay for it? Oh, easily 99 bucks a month. Oh my gosh. I would have been creating a product that was subpar, charging $29 a month, leaving money on the table versus I now have a hundred dollar a month program that, that we have over 300 people in. And so then asking that group when they were leaving, uh, what is that next step for you starting a counseling uh, group practice? And so then doing that exact same thing of what would be in that, what would that magical product look like? So when you have, <clears throat> excuse me, when you have the audience, you then can just ask them about the product and not waste all that time. And for you, just as sort of speaking from a, from a slightly different angle, how do you, um, what sort of strategies did you use to grow your audience? Yeah, I think that uh, initially when I first got started, it was a lot more bootstrapping and direct networking with people. Uh, one strategy I used when I first got started that I would say still works um, is to be a part of some sort of professional group, either on LinkedIn or on Facebook. And then most of those groups say you can't promote blog posts, you can't promote things unless it's part of a conversation. So I would go into conversations where someone would say, what are the best techniques to uh, name a counseling private practice? I would then go and write a blog post about how to name a counseling private practice make it go live right then and then copy the first say hundred words of it and put that into the answer and say, Oh my gosh, today I just launched a blog post about this very question. Here's the first hundred words. Here's a link to the rest of the article to walk you through it. And I got so much traffic off of that hit uh, off of that, um, that hack. And so I think just serving over and over um, and making sure that you're leveling up in your networking. If you have a great conversation with someone that's a few steps ahead of you, like stay on their radar, you know, not every day, but once a month, or so, you know, send them a quick, something that makes you stand out, send them a, a voice text over Instagram or, you know, send them an email or send them a quick video or, or promote their book uh, in a way that maybe other people aren't doing it. When you do those things to stand out, then you create a network that's larger than maybe where you're at right now. No, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Okay. Question number five is what are your challenges in harmonizing work and life and how do you manage them? Yeah, I think that for me, um, you know, being a single dad, it's ever shifting. Uh, and so uh, I want to have a basic schedule of, of how many days I work in a month. And uh, my daughters uh, have changes in their schedule. And so I have to have some flexibility and my clients have to have some of that flexibility. So making sure that early on, I anchor expectations with especially one-on-one -on -one consulting clients to say, uh, I'm from Friday morning until Monday morning, if you text me, you're not going to hear from me. Uh, so they know that from the beginning and before they ever give me a dollar, uh, then they understand, okay, here are the expectations Joe has for this relationship. Um, do I want that? Am I willing to pay the level I have to pay Joe in order to not talk to him if something happens over the weekend? Um, and, and so making sure I, over time, I've had to really learn that I need to anchor that from the very beginning before someone ever gives me a dollar so that we don't get in a situation where someone expects 
connected on a Saturday morning and their website's on fire that I would jump in and do a call with them. Like that's just not going to happen. And, and so I think um, really figuring out how do you um, anchor your clients, but then also your family. So making sure my daughters really know when I'm working or when I'm not working. Um, so last night I was on Bloomberg News and uh, my parents were over and to set those expectations multiple times with them of we need to be quiet for the next you know half hour. Um, you guys can play with Poppy and Mamere. You can have lots of fun with Poppy and Mamere, have dinner. We need to be quiet. When that door is shut, I'm in interviews. Please don't come in. They've never interrupted an interview. They've never been so loud I needed to stop an interview. Uh, and so just with the family being able to really set those expectations as well. Yeah, I love that. I love that. We, uh, there was a fa- there was a couple of famous ones in the BBC where their kids <laughs> ran straight yeah. through, and then the nanny followed straight through to grab them and like drag them back to the thing. But yeah, I know it's 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 when the magic door shuts, that's it. No one comes in. No nothing. Um, question of- with some of those littler kids, I'd probably lock the door, but then they'd start pounding on it. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Well, I used to have a. I used to have a. Um, when they were younger, because they're older now, they know better, but there used to be a sign that said work in progress. And I used to switch it on when I was doing the podcast or doing interviews. Nice, nice. And then it's off when they're not. So the, if the door was shut, that's one thing. But if the door and the light's on, yes, there's definitely no moving. Unless the house is on fire, and then obviously. But other than Absolutely. that, no, there's Absolutely. no interruptions going on. <laughs> Um, question number six is what advice would you give an entrepreneur that you wish you had known starting out? I think the biggest piece of advice is that if you have any extra income to put into either consulting, a mastermind group, uh, connecting with influencers, buying their books, doing a bulk book buy, that almost always is a return on investment that is going to double, triple your money. Um, of course, you know, no consultant is going to guarantee that, but the amount from, from investing in my own consulting and my own learning um, that has just come back, it's incredible. Yeah, and I think as well as is, is there's a, uh, there's certainly I invest in, I'm the, I come from that same sort of belief because I think if I'm a coach and I don't invest in the same type of thing that my clients are investing in me in, I'm kind of like being a little bit of a hypocrite. So I want to make sure that I'm leveling up to higher, to my highest, best expectations and, and skills levels. So, because my clients are trusting me to do, they're trusting me. So it's, it's kind of like, I want to make sure that I'm teaching what I preach kind of like thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. And and I think that we have moved so far out of the information age. Uh, There's more than enough information out there. We're really in the implementation age uh, that you're paying somebody to teach you to implement something faster. Uh, And and to me, that's where where coaching, consulting programs, uh, if you find someone that really knows their stuff, uh, pay someone who's already done it to teach you that quick way of getting started so that you can put all that extra energy into launching it, into growing it, into expanding it. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, question number seven, what is your personal definition of success? For me, it's having enough time for my kids and for myself. Uh, I, I want to have resources uh, to be able to travel and do the things that uh, I enjoy, but 
even just having an amazing sunset by the water, which is three blocks from my house, that that's good enough for me. I'm not, I'm a pretty simple guy when it comes to actual finances. And so for me, those relationships and impact on the world and making sure friends feel loved and connected with, um, to me, those are the success indicators. Um, I, I love that I get to do work that I, I absolutely enjoy. Uh, I, I mean, I'm helping therapists launch private practices and coaches launch uh, practices that genuinely help people have better lives. And so that works amazing, but that may shift in the future where I want to do something else. And so my success is always going to be around how I show up in the world, uh, how I teach my daughters um, to enter into adulthood eventually, uh, to be better people for the world and, and to not cause any unnecessary harm to people. Yes. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, we did have the final question was about routine, but you kind of like answered that on question one. You talked about your meditation, your reading, your journaling. The one thing I kind of like um, want to add, uh, ask about that is the journaling process that you do. Is it free writing? Is it through a specific structure? Um, what benefits have you personally found through the journaling process? I would say for me, journaling is primarily a brain dump of uh, anything, anything that's frustrating, anything that's sad, uh, anything that I'm worrying about uh, to get the negative thoughts out of my brain and on paper so that I can kind of move through my day differently. Uh, that may change in the future. Um, I would say a couple other routines that I have uh, is just you know, when I have free time and I go for a walk or do other things, um, I'll call friends that that I'm on the level that you can just call out of the blue and not text them first and, and just have quick, quick phone calls to check in. I, I think as adults, we oftentimes let those friendships slip away over time um, because we're quote busy. Uh, but those are the things that they just light us up. Uh, last weekend, uh, my my kids were with their mom and uh, I realized I had Saturday and Sunday completely free. And so I texted my friends that are three hours away and just said, what are you guys up to? Um, and one guy said, well, I was going to go to Detroit. I have these two tickets for this band that I like, but uh, this other friend of ours said that he can't make it. So I'm not sure if I'm going to do it. And I was just like, I'll go to Detroit. Like it's a four hour drive, but I'll use my points to stay at a hotel and let's do it. So we, within two hours made these plans. And then we convinced the other two guys that are part of our group to come too. And so all four of us in the last minute created this guys overnight within two hours. And so those kind of things, uh, I think oftentimes we often talk about hustle and pushing it and KPIs and making money. That's all important. But if we're not fueling the life that we get to live for 70, 80 or 90 years, like what's the point? Yeah. No, no. Yeah. I, I, and I think for me, that's the, that, that's certainly, um, the thing that I realized is, is when, when, when I was going through the, the sort of being ill, it was the, I've got to remember why I'm doing all of this. And rather than living in regrets and being angry in, um, dark moments of what I've missed, I was completely in control of not being in that place in certain aspects of it and being able to decide that I could have spent more time with my family if I'd done X, Y, and Z, rather than worrying about stuff that in that moment were completely insignificant and didn't matter. Absolutely. Yeah, it's spot on. 
So, sir, we've come to the final part of the show. This is where you get this opportunity to tell us more about the book. How can we get hold of it? Um, and anything else you would like to share. So please take it away. Yeah. So Thursday is the new Friday is available wherever you get your books. So uh, it could be your local bookstore. It could be uh, online. Uh, it's on Audible. Where, wherever it is that you enjoy getting books, HarperCollins has, has put it out there. Uh, we have a really special thing that's happening throughout the month of October, where if you buy 10 books, you get to be a part of our mastermind that starts the first Thursday in November, 2021. Uh, that's going to be at noon Eastern. Uh, and so it's going to run for six sessions. So we're going to have uh, seven weeks because we'll skip uh, American Thanksgiving. Uh, and what we're going to do in that mastermind group is the first third of it, we're going to talk deeper about sections of the book and go beyond what the book teaches because uh, the assumption is that people will have read the book by that point. Uh, then we're going to move into a couple hot seats to practically implement what the book is. How do you make make a four-day work week? How do you think through that? Um, and we have a variety of different types of people. We have entrepreneurs, we have po top podcasters, we have traditional business people. Um, so it's all these folks that are saying, we in some way want to experiment with making Thursday the new Friday. And then the last third, which I would say is probably the most important third, is going to be really strong guided networking. My goal is that every single person leaves with six to 10 new, really quality networking relationships that they want to follow up with, that they want to do joint ventures together, be on each other's podcasts, just see if they're a fit. Um, so often I've been in these high-level mastermind groups and sure, we learn a lot. We have hot seats, but we don't have any time to really deeply connect with other people. And, and to me, that's going to be when you bring together this level of, of podcasters and influencers to allow you to connect with other people. So if that sounds good, you just buy 10 copies of the book wherever you want to buy them. And then just go over to thursdayisthenewfriday.com and submit your receipt there. And then you'll get added to that email list. We'll give you all the details of how to get access to uh, that mastermind group and we'll all hang out in there. Joe, thank you so much for sharing that and thank you so much for joining me on the show. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I've just ordered the book. Um, so um, I just want to say thanks very much and I wish you the greatest success. Jeff, thank you so much. Take care. So first of all, just let me say a massive thank you for joining me today. It's lovely to know that you're out there listening. And it's great to have the emails that I get from you with suggestions about the show and what you think about the show. That's really nice. It really does help me make the show even better. If you'd like to find out more about me and the types of services I offer or my social media links, then please visit www.jeffnicholson.uk. You can also join us on the Facebook page. Just search for Success IQ Podcast. And that's a new page that we've put up that I'm trying to grow and develop. So you can tune in and find us on other stations such as Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, and of course iTunes. And if you have the time, it would be great if you could pop over there, leave a rating, leave a review, because it really does help me grow the show and make the impact that I'm really looking for. So just to say, I hope you have a fantastic week. I wish you the greatest success and I look forward to speaking to you next week. Take care.